tell me one thing, Burke? You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back, but to wipe them out. It's just one of those things managed to wipe out my entire crew in less than 24 hours. And if the colonists have found that ship, then there's no telling how many of them have been exposed. Do you understand? I ain't much for begging. Nobody ever gave me nothing. So I say, fuck that thing. Let's fight it. Welcome to Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast. This is episode 65, I believe. I'm your host, J.M. Prater, and I am joined by Patrick uh, Green. I'm joined by Michael McCulloch, and I'm joined by Dave Gogol. And uh, this is, unfortunately, Ryan can't be with us. This is another formal roundtable that's kind of the jumping off point for us for many, many different things. Um, yeah. We have a lot of announcements uh, or a few announcements that we want to get through. This is kind of like a, I don't want to call it a reset, but a rebranding of Perfect Organism. Uh, we all have been working on, uh, whether it's con- contributing um, through Xenomorphing or through blog posts from Michael or through web design um, from Patrick or input from me. Um, we've all been kind of working kind of behind the scenes uh, to give you perfectorganism.com, which is the official website of our podcast. All of our episodes are available there to stream or to, you know, to download or whatever you wanted to do. Um, that website is also um, kind of the banner of that website hosts Perfect Perfect Organism and it also hosts Shoulder of Orion, which is the Blade Runner podcast, which, we, which is still in its infancy, um, crossed over 500 downloads the past couple days, which is a great uh, awesome. it's a great, uh, milestone. Um, so there's a lot we're doing. We opened, we have a store that we opened up, uh, through T public where if you want to, if you want a t-shirt, if you want a mug, if you want whatever you want, uh, you can go through T public and you can purchase, uh, perfect organism stuff. You can purchase stuff from shoulder of Orion and the logo. And that is presented there is available in several different formats or, or different kind of iterations. Uh, with like, again, whether it's a mouse pad or whatever, whatever you want. Um, and all of the, the proceeds from those sales goes back to the podcast and whether that's re recouping losses from, um, you know, monthly, monthly hosting fees, all sorts of things. All the money kind of is sunk right back into um, the podcast. Sorry, there's a lot going on, so I'm trying to keep everything straight in my head. Uh, I also want to give a shout out to Froilan Gardner. I think that's how you say his name. He designed the, he painted, it was a digital painting of Rachel, who we used in our design for Shoulder, shoulder, yeah, absolutely. Yes, shoulder of Orion. Uh, it's just spot on. And then Patrick's, your work with it, uh, that the logo, the, the text, the font, it's unbelievable. We've already sold a couple of shirts. We also sold a couple of uh, Perfect Organism shirts tonight, too, which I was suspecting maybe it was Dave and Michael who bought those. <laughs> uh, we, well, we've also we've also sold at least Not one guilty. mug and uh, and at least two shirts that are all me just sitting here buying shit with our <laughs> logo on it. <laughs> it's so cool because oh my god, it looks awesome! I'm like really excited about it. And I, I should point out that all of that 
uh, is available if, if you just go to our website, which again, as of this recording day, is just www.perfectorganism.com. Uh, you can find it right there under the merchandise tab. And 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 just like Jamie said, like we're not doing this, you know, for some sort of, um, you know, money making thing. Like this is just to support the podcast and also just to kind of get the name out there and hopefully give you some cool stuff to uh, to use. Absolutely. Um, and I also suggest uh, look up Froyland Gardner. It's F O R. Sorry, it's F R O I L A N G A R D N E R. He's got his portfolio online, and his stuff is just incredible. It's He's amazing. Yeah, it's and amazing. Oh, yeah. The podcasts and uh, just a great dude. So check him out. We also want to talk about uh, our Patreon account, and I will have uh, Patrick if you want to kind of go through what that is and this yeah. and uh, why we've launched it and why we think it's important. Yeah, so so Patreon, for those of you who don't know, is a really widely used funding platform where you can make small recurring donations to support um, various artistic projects, especially podcasts. It's really taken off as a podcast support platform. So you know, we're, we're not uh, – for one thing, I should make it totally clear on behalf of all of us that this is a free product for you. Perfect Organism, Shoulder of Orion are not things that you have to pay for. You'll never have to pay for them. We are not in this uh, to make you, you know, sign up for something that you don't want to, to, you know, to, to pay out of pocket for because this is this is for you. If, however, you would like a direct uh, hand in the success of these shows and you would like to um, be more directly involved, Patreon is a really good way for you to do that for very little money per month, but um, to to help us to, you know, achieve bigger and better things and to be to do more ambitious stuff in the service of these franchises that we love so dearly. So uh, yeah, so so you can go you can look us up on the Patreon website, but I suggest you get there by just going to perfectorganism.com and going to the Patreon tab which is in the top right and we have a few tiers set up for donations. So for example, for if you give $2 a month, uh, your name will be on our website in the supporters section and we will thank you publicly on social media. Um, if you give say $8 a month, you'll be thanked on the air personally, um, as well as the previous rewards. And, um, you know, tier three, for example, you get 20% off all merchandise for everything in addition to the other stuff. And then um, if you become a sustaining member, which is $25 a month, um, we would love to have you come on and guest on an episode, at least one episode. Who knows if it goes really well, we'll have you on more than that. You know, um, you'll also get an exclusive poster that we'll all sign for you that isn't available through retail outlets. It'll be something specifically made for you, as well as it is kind of merchandise and all those other things. So, you know, um, again, we're not expecting any of you to do this, but if you would like to get more directly involved, we would really appreciate the help. And we pledge to you that we will always be 100% transparent with where the money goes. And we will send you, you know, quarterly, say, updates on um, how we're using the money. And like Jamie said, whether that's for bandwidth or for, um, you know, for hosting fees or for web design fees or for um, improved recording equipment, uh, or to help us to facilitate in-person interviews with people from these franchises that we love, um, that's really what this is all about. So it's just a way to get more directly involved. Absolutely. And if you pledge a thousand dollars a month, you'll get a, a visit from Dave Gogol himself. <laughs> <laughs> what are you saying? Now this? we're getting to the good stuff. <laughs> uh, but, uh, and also, uh, I should also say, uh, to kind of wrap these up, we have an official YouTube channel, um, where we've uploaded our first video called in defense of alien three, which is kind yes, of the top watch. Yeah. And it's kind it of the, awesome. It's yeah. a, it's the jumping off point for this, what this episode really is about. It's not just a rebranding episode, but, or an announcement episode. We want to really dive into alien three and, uh, 
in many, many different ways, like we were discussing, well, we, we had, we were, had been discussing what we wanted to talk about, but there's, there's such a, a, a storied history to this film and the iterations of it, uh, the, the many scripts that were made, um, the different directors that it went through, um, the, the studio the how the studio kind of meddled and meddled and meddled and meddled and it's shocking that the film even well i guess it's shocking but it isn't shocking great art is kind of made from struggle and alien 3 if anything if it's nothing else it is born of struggle um mm, and point. we uh and we really wanted to kind of dive into that more and i think not just because it's an interesting but because the film and many different parts of it affects us so much, whether that's for myself and Michael, it's our connection to Ripley, whether that's for Patrick uh, and his connection to the music and the score, or for Dave and his connection to the design of the Xeno, or uh, Ryan, who will be on future episodes, and his kind of connection to all of it. Um, there's so much to really discuss, um, and not just from our perspectives and what we're thinking and what we're feeling, but also... Um, going through kind of points of production points of writing um and talking about what worked what would have worked what didn't work um the effects everything and i i just think it's a it's a fascinating uh, i mean when I, i'll put it this way when i went to film school and i uh, was taking screenwriting 101 um, and then I took screenwriting too and all that stuff. But with screenwriting, the first screenwriting class, they, the film that they used to talk about how Hollywood has scripts written and kind of the famous film was Alien 3. Um, they had That's cool. five different scripts. We got all of them. I still have them. They're somewhere around here. Um, uh, we got them physically. They're all printed out and bind, bound and everything. Um, and so I thought it was curious that... Um, you know, this large film school is using this film as a kind of model of, well, this is what has happened in Hollywood and this is how scripts have been written and this is the different versions of it. And um, so there's there's a lot to unpack here. And tonight um, in this launch episode, we really want to discuss our impressions of Alien 3 personally, um, what we connect with, how we felt about the film initially. Um, and we've discussed this a little bit before. We've had an Alien 3 episode uh, about a year or so, probably or more, maybe a year and a half ago, um, back when I had my original host. Um, and it was, it wasn't, it was, everyone was talking about it, but it wasn't as in-depth as it could have been. And so um, as we move forward as a podcast, we're probably going to re-engage certain films like Alien 3, like Alien Resurrection, maybe the AVP films, even though we're not about the Predator universe whatsoever. We think it's kind of worth a look and it's worth a discussion to see why these films worked. Is there anything in them that worked and uh, why they stopped making them or and stuff like that? So with that, I say we jump right in. Do you have any faith, sister? Not much. Well, we've got a lot of faith here. Enough even for you. I thought women weren't allowed. Well, we've never had any before. But we tolerate anybody. Even the intolerable. Who I want to hear from first is Dave Gogol. And uh, and I will like who, 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 who I will say I feel who, so honored. He <laughs> said the other night when we were discussing this episode. I think I have a very different relationship. With <laughs> 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 what the fuck does that mean? So, I hear. so yeah, like tell me, Dave. Really, like what what uh, 
what draws you to this film? And what I don't even really know if I know what you think about the film. Do you like it? Do no, you enjoy we haven't it? really we haven't discussed it too much actually. Um, I actually was um one of the few. It seemed. I mean, I had no connection to. You know, I don't even think the internet was around then. I mean, I saw the movie, I think I was, I don't know, 16, 17. I liked it from the beginning. I didn't have really any huge emotional like uh, connection to it, but right from the start, I liked it. I remember initially being disappointed. I remember some early teasers that it was supposed to be on Earth. I remember being a little disappointed it wasn't fully on Earth, but overall, I liked it. I liked that it was dark. It wasn't, you know, um, anything you know, positive. It wasn't, you know, uh, one big happy fucking family. It was, you know, mm-hmm. when I was talking about LA movies, like people were understandably upset that we didn't get that, you know, Xeno nuclear family. But what I, my defense was the alien universe, it's not about pies and puppies and happy Don't go endings. there, Dave. Don't go the there. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go there. <laughs> it's about <laughs> getting your heart with a, uh, a Xeno tail right through its chest. That's what Alien Universe is about. It's not yeah. about happy endings. Yeah. Well, I think I could, you know, I could easily, I won't, I could understand people who maybe wanted them to go out a different way. But when I first saw it, I liked it. And as I've gotten older, I've, you know, appreciated parts of it more. But I, I definitely, um, I understood the initial, the initial, the initial pushback because, you know, it was, it wasn't really for everybody at first and the audience maybe was a different time, wasn't ready for it. But um, I did like it from day one, you know, maybe not for the reasons that I do now. I just thought it was a cool monster. You know, I was like the, I was of course infatuated with the alien. It was a cool take on the alien, you know, cool kills, you know, a uh, Xeno slasher film almost with better characters. And I liked it. So I dug it. Did you relate to it on any kind of emotional level or was it just pure aesthetics and creature design? I mean, now I kind of have more of a uh, emotional attachment to it. At first, not really. When Ripley died, you know, I was, um, it sucked, but I mean, not to sound too heartless here, but it was like the way she died. I'm like, I just saw this in Terminator 2. I'm like, really? Yeah, yeah. I'm like I I just I just saw Arnold go through. I was just waiting for Ripley to put the thumbs up. I was like <laughs> thumbs up at the end. <laughs> yeah, the queen, the queen. I'll be cloned. This is it. Still, it still affected me, but it was I guess because had I not because back in the two, I was a huge Terminator fan. Had I not seen it before, it probably would have affected me more. But um. So now, it, was this was this the first one you saw or no? In the you, theater, you yes. Not the, the first okay. one I saw. Okay, so, but you, you did already have a connection to to Ripley as a as a character before this. It wasn't like yes. No, 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 no. I never. I mean, this is a whole other discussion. But I never had. I don't seem to have the connection to her that you guys do. But I did have a you know attachment to the character and was not uh, pleased she was dying though at that time it wasn't it was of course i liked her as a character or the fact that i might not get any more alien movies i didn't really know at the time <laughs> yeah. probably a little both but um you know that's pretty much where i'm coming from <laughs> well and i would think that uh well back then i was I, I would never even i remember when alien 3 was coming out it was a time where uh there was no internet and right you there was never ever 
there was never an expectation of, oh, is there another one coming? It just happened. Oh, they're releasing another Alien movie or whatever movie it might be. Oh, really? Yeah, that's awesome. There wasn't the kind of anticipation in, are they releasing one? There's people talking for months and months and months, news trickling down. All of that is um, kind of a child of the technology, the internet, the age of the internet um, from early. I mean, it was there, but it was different. It was like, it was like teased in print media occasionally, but yeah. it, was, it was like, oh, that was the extent of what you could get. Yeah. Like, like it, you, you would read that it was in development. You'd be yeah. like, what? And it would just, you wouldn't hear anything for five months. Yeah. And now we're like, we haven't and heard it, anything. And it works great. And that's the, and that type of media works great for alien movies. Cause you don't have 90% of the movie you fucking ruined in trailers, teasers, yeah. screenshots. That's, that's very true. That's yeah. very true. Which is yeah, a whole other um, episode et cetera, et cetera. of itself. In too. those five yeah, months, sorry. Things, what's crazy is that like, you know, there were huge changes going on with the personnel attached to the film that like nobody knew about, you know, all the time. So when it came out, I, I think most of us saw it as this like finished document, not yep. realizing that this was nothing like what it had been, you know, what they were in yeah. pre-production on and, say 1990 you know what i mean and i had no idea of that original trailer where it's where they were like alien on earth like that was the first teaser they yeah that they yep. released before they had uh, even started production yeah. i had no I idea remember seeing that, that going existed. oh my god yeah. yeah little did we know that the alien on earth movie we would get would be freaking avp uh which so on earth I, no one could hear you puke <laughs> <laughs> I don't even also – I also don't fully know, and I'm kind of saving Michael and I's response for the end, um, but I don't know your full take on Alien 3 either, Patrick. I know that you've – the score, we've discussed that and how much we love it, but I don't know what your connection is and how you feel about the film. Sure. So so my, my connection to Alien 3 is is very deep. I, I really – it's it's always been one of my favorites, including the theatrical cut, which I, I think is wonderful. I, I absolutely love it. Um, and I think that the, the extended version doesn't necessarily add very much to it. That makes it a better film. I, uh, I, I immediately loved it when I saw it. I, and it, what's funny is that – so I, I think there's a whole generation of us that – became alien fans at least partially as a result of alien 3 coming out not because we saw alien 3 when it was released because for most for the most part many of us were too young i was seven you know um but because the the 20 the 20th century fox and the ramping up to alien 3 um gave out the licenses for the operation alien things which became the toys that so many of us had so so many of us got these toys for this aborted cartoon that came out as a tie-in to alien 3 not, not even realizing that Alien 3 was the reason these things existed because it's so, such an incredible world of difference. You know, you have Alien 3, which is probably the darkest film in the entire um, saga. And then there's, you know, cartoon toys. But but it's funny that that's, that was sort of how I got into Alien in the first place. And then that led me to Alien and then Aliens. And then I saw Alien 3 probably when I was 10. Hmm. And, uh, and I just loved it. I thought it was so scary. I thought it was so scary. And I thought it was... Um, really haunting i i thought that ripley's death was it was very difficult for me to take emotionally it's st- it still is i still cry every time i see that scene i think it just is, is extremely emotionally resonant and um it's like such a fitting farewell to the character that I, I kind of can never quite forgive resurrection for trying to to drag her back out again even though she's a clone or whatever I, it's just still I, I feel like you could not imagine a better send-off for a true heroine than, than her self-sacrifice at the end of Alien 3. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, so other things that I loved about it, I thought the effects were amazing. And I think they've, they've for the most part, held up really well. Um, what film have you seen? It, 
Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> some of them haven't, um, and that's okay. You know, I mean, Jaws is one of my favorite movies, and I, you know, that looks like shit sometimes. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. I'm okay with that. Yeah, yeah. But but the scenes where it works well, like you know, there's there's a shot of the runner climbing on the roof uh, on the ceiling that I think looks extremely good. Oh, that's mm-hmm. a I mean, great shot. the the infamous shot where where he uh, edges right up to Ripley as she's backing away from him. Mm-hmm. You know, the shot that's used in all the promo materials. I mean, that looks absolutely incredible. The mm-hmm. practical practical effects on that. Mm-hmm. You can practically smell its breath. You know. And it's a close-up shot, and, and there's a lot of moments like that. Um, I think from a from a technical standpoint, it's it's really interesting. I think the color palette is unique among film that, that I can think of. The fact that it's it's a movie that's almost entirely brown. It's almost all shades of, of brown and, and khaki, um, which I think is just such a fascinating cinema cinematography decision to make. And I think that it makes things like blood really stand out in a really stark and haunting way. Um, and I think that, like, like, like JM has said, uh, uh, the music is just—I think it's—it's it's the best film score I've ever heard. I really, I really, truly think that it is the crowning achievement of what is one of the best um, film composers I can think of careers. And I think Elliot Goldenthal pushed a lot of boundaries on it. And I think that, um, as a composer myself, I, I, I am kind of in awe of what he was able to to express because, at once, it's extremely abstract, and yet it's also very narratively driven and very emotional. And it's just a it's a it's an amazing achievement that would stand on its own as a two hour long concert piece, but because it's the soundtrack to this film that I love, it's just is even more special. Mm-hmm. I also think uh, I think that the the burial sequence is just, and I think we talked about this on a roundtable a while ago. I just think that's one of the best scenes in, in all of the the saga. I think that um, that Dylan's speech is just indelible. I think it's unforgettable. I think he he as a character is just incredible. Um, and, and lastly, I'll end with saying that the novelization of it is also just, just truly spectacular. I think that it's one of Foster's best novelizations. I think it's a really taut novel. Um, and I, I really recommend it if anybody hasn't read it yet. I just think it's a, it's a unique special film that, um, has, it, it, it asks nothing of the viewer, but to accept it as it is. And if you're able to do that and watch it not as the desecration of characters that you love and watch it not as the ending of something, but watch it as, as like a testament to these characters in and of itself contained, uh, I think you'll love it. You know, that's, that's kind of my relationship to it. Interesting. All right. Michael, what about you? Well, well, well. I've been sitting <laughs> waiting. <laughs> no, it's, it, it is. I agree with, like I said, it took me, um, honestly, it took me till I was older, you know, more of an adult life before I really was able to, um, you know, appreciate it for what it was. I guess the, the, probably the reason is, is when I saw it, I was young and, uh, you know, I had, um, and we talked about this before. I mean, my connection to all these movies is my dad. So it was kind of cool. Like, you know, I had gotten into, and I went reverse. I saw aliens first and then went back and saw alien so i had gotten into it you know the comics had really started to come out um i was getting into the novels and everything like that and i really caught fire and when i was growing up ripley's character which is funny because a lot of people say like yo the actor their favorite actor the you know the arnold schwarzenegger was big and all the you know the big time you know guy you know actors at that time and it was so funny because ripley and sigourney weaver was my favorite actress my down pat you know from ghostbusters and you know all the alien series you know my one of my favorite movies is gorillas in the mist oh yeah she was yeah yeah um 
you know, so I like absorbed everything that had her in. I tried to take it all in. So she was my, my action star. Um, you know, as a kid, you know, I saw her, I think the same way Jamie did. Like I almost saw her as a surrogate mother, you know, like, you know, you, you followed everything she did and, you know, it was kind of like, I don't, it just, there's a, a certain way about her, but you know, I had seen it and it came out and, you know, of course I had seen the, you know, most actually what I saw was on the back of comic books on the back of comic books. They used to do promos. Yeah. Um, and that's where I saw the alien three one that, you know, and it was just the, the curled up, uh, queen. And that was all, you know, that was like the big thing for it. So my dad had taken me to see it and, um, I, you know, I had, it was so funny cause I remember sitting there, I, there's three main scenes that I can remember that made that movie for me. The first was the initial crash. Um, you know, with all the, I, I couldn't, I sat there in the theater confused because, you know, you <laughs> saw the, the, the egg on the Sulaco, you know, and then all of a sudden the lights were going and there was the warning stuff going. And I think they remember a, a scene where they show, um, like, uh, I think it was Ripley's shirt. I can't remember whose shirt it was, but you see like the blood rise up through the shirt. Um, mm-hmm. you know, there was all kinds of in visuals, the credits which, in, the, in the beginning, yeah, in the intro. Yeah, it was credits, just crazy. Yeah. It was so much going. And then the next thing I know, you know, Newt's dead. And Hicks is dead, you know. Bishops in pieces, and it it's was crazy just like, that it starts with that. Yeah, you know? it just it was like wham right into it. So as a kid, I'm like, well, right away, I'm like, there goes my, as Dave said, my family. Um, <laughs> so they, you know, and I didn't know how to adjust to that. Like, so I was already like emotionally a mess. And then, um, you know, like Patrick said, then the next one of the next best scenes was the burial scene. But for me, it wasn't the burial scene. It was the it was the point when. Ripley has to go and see Newt um, in the on the you know on the table, and then has to force them to do a dissection because she's so she has to know, and like you can just it was just one of those things like I you know I can't imagine what that's like, you know so that that kind of got so already I was like I was down, and then probably the worst part of the whole movie was when uh, she lays in the. Uh, in the med bay and uh it tells her that there's a that there's a choice burster inside of her and i was just like uh, i was lost <laughs> i can remember sitting in the theater and just like the tears just rolling down my eyes like i, mean, I was it's such so a heavy blow cause, it's yeah because i knew what was coming you knew there was no it was yeah. going to happen you know one way or the other but you know I, I don't know like i said my my biggest and like i said I, I went through it and all the emotions and i can remember coming out of the theater and my dad's consoling me and he's like you know telling me you know she had to and this is why she had to and but as a kid you're you know you're all heart so it, you 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 know everything to you is deeper than you don't think about it so much it's just kind of right you know there and then like i said now i got it i believe i didn't actually buy that movie probably uh, it, it had to been on DVD. I didn't buy it. I didn't VHS the whole nine yards. I just would not watch it. And then it came out on DVD, and I kind of did one of those things where I'm like, well, if I'm ever going to get over this, I might as well just do it now. And I think I binge watched it probably for two or three days. I must have watched it a couple times. And I was, then I started to pick up on things. I'm like, I'm like, this is actually a really amazing movie. Like if you just if you think about it from those points instead of being that that kid that just lost. You know, literally your 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 franchise. I mean, I guess you could say it that way. That was my my loss. And uh, you know, I don't know. I like I said today, I absolutely love it. It's probably my second favorite behind Aliens. It's just it's just such a great a great movie. I mean, there's 
you know, for all the flaws. I mean, that's the the thing people don't understand for the flaws behind this movie and everything that went on behind the scenes for it to be like this cult classic now is amazing. You know, just and uh, I should I should yeah, point it's... out for for people listening that Michael has an awesome blog post that is uh, live on the website that talks about his sort of journey through this thing um, in relation to the the nine steps of grief. So it, it's it's awesome. I, I really recommend you guys check it out. Yeah, that was it was funny because I had put that on there and uh, I've had a couple people now that that have, have actually mentioned have called me and they're like they're like they're actually asking me like are you okay? <laughs> are you like are you okay now? Like have you adjusted? I'm like. I was like, I'm good. <laughs> like, you know, just, that's, that was, but you know, that I, I will tell you truthfully, everything I wrote down is exactly how I went through that. I, mean, I, I remember coming home from the movie and I don't want to draw it on, but I remember coming home from the movie and taking my posters down off the wall. I can remember putting everything in a box, all my, my comics and everything and just thrown in my closet. I was mad at the world. Like I was just distraught. I had no idea. And it was, and it was because, you know, like I said, Ripley is my, that, I didn't know what to do. I don't. I don't have a second favorite. I don't have somebody that can go. Oh, you know, I'll put this, this person will be my new, my new hero. You know, this right. will be my person. I mean, it just I didn't know what to do. And so, I mean, now, now I look back at it, and I'm like, you know, it's just I could tell, like, you know, like I said, there's a difference between seeing this movie as an adult and seeing it for what it is and what composes it, as being a kid and seeing it with all heart, where you're like, you lost somebody. Like, where did my, where did my my family go, you know. It's just two different areas. That's so. Yeah. I mean, it's a. I love yeah, it. You definitely appreciate it more. Yeah, as you get something older. I, 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 I have two brief thoughts. Um, as you were just talking, the 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 scene in the infirmary where they're cutting Newt open, is I mean, it's like it's it's incredibly hard to watch. And I, I yeah. think besides the obvious version that it's a child being cut open, you know, by, by a, a grieving pseudo mother, you know, I mean, there, there's like or with her present at least, she's not cutting Newt. But I think it, from a storytelling standpoint, obviously, it's it's difficult. But also, it's almost entirely blue. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Like, it, mm-hmm. the lighting is white and blue, and the red blood is literally polarly opposite from that yeah. mm-hmm. on the color spectrum. And it is, like, so vivid. And, the, and like I said, the rest of the movie is almost entirely shades of brown. Even the exterior shots of Fiorina 161, it's just brown with some kind of muted burgundy mm-hmm. sky highlights. It's really a brown movie. And then you have this one sequence that is neon blue and neon red, basically, yeah. lit so brightly that you can see the pupils contracted um, you know, on both of the actors there. You know, I mean, yeah. it's a really bright scene. And I, I think that's part of why that's hard to watch. That's one of the few scenes in the in the series that actually make me a little even to me a little a little uncomfortable i'm like yeah you know what i'm gonna go look at some kittens <laughs> <laughs> even just the fully effects are incredible like the you know the chest saw i mean it's just sound yeah. sound effect, yeah. just amazing Ugh. and so difficult to watch um the other thing i just wanted to point out is that i, I for whatever reason have lost sight of the flaws with the movie completely. Like, I, like Michael, I, like you were saying that, um, you know, now you can watch it as an adult and kind of forgive the errors with it. And at some point I know I was more aware of that because at some point in my life, I didn't think of it as this like masterpiece, but I really do now. And I, 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 I don't know. I, I would love somebody to prove me wrong on this. Um, 
because I, I, I can't think of anything wrong with it. Like I'm literally sitting here right now trying to think of what I don't like about it. And I think I just love the movie. So well, that's neither here nor there. But. And that's, that's the, magic, the magic egg. Well, that's what's interesting. I don't think anybody, anyone who didn't like Alien 3 didn't like it because they thought, oh, it was poorly made or it wasn't a good story. They didn't. Most people's reaction was from all we, was, all we that was built in Aliens is gone. Yeah, and but it, still, but I mean, on Rotten Tomatoes, for example, it's at like fifty-six percent or something. I mean, it, it got a lot of bad reviews at the time, but and I, and I don't think those were all from injured Alien fans. Like, I, I think no, some of that yeah. was like movie standpoint. Right? Well, I, I think uh, you know, even James Cameron came out and said, you know, I think he felt offended that you know he did all this work in Aliens, and then they just kind of destroyed it all. I really feel like that was the kind of the place of the pivot point for a lot of these reviewers. Mm. Um, were they? We're kind of reviewing the film based off their their abject love of aliens and how it didn't match up to it. Um, but uh, to an earlier point, that scene with Newt is lit like James Cameron lit it. It's blue like James Cameron yeah. would have made it. And it's almost like, a, yeah, James Cameron, we're fucking this shit up. We're cutting this girl up. <laughs> really? Like, that's what it seems like to me. It's like this isn't this little American nuclear family. Yeah, we're cutting it to hell right now. Um, and I, that's who a little bit who David Fincher is. David Fincher is a very visceral. He's not a oh let's have a good you know. None of his movies are like oh what's such a great story you know. None right, of his films right. are that way. None of them. Um, and Alien Three was his first film. Um, you and know, he was in his in his late twenties. Yeah, I think he was twenty seven yeah, yep. when he made it. Twenty seven. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's I I so I, I really have this. I don't know. My gut reaction feels like it's it's. That scene with Newt in Alien Three is really uh, a kind of a fuck you to James Cameron a little bit. Like, sorry, this American Dream you guys are talking about, you're hoping about, it's not going to happen. Yeah, she's having her cut open, and uh, it's interesting also how much Newt is in Alien Three. Newt is in the first probably thirty minutes of Alien Three. I mean, she's not walking around and running, of course, or running around, but she's there. She's where is she? We're we're seeing her body quite a few times, um, and then it gets gross, and you know, there's the autopsy and all that kind of thing, and then you see her in. But she's there. You feel the presence of Newt there. You feel the loss of Newt there, which yeah, is uh, which is. I I also thought it was very respectful um, how they how Ripley. How they wrote Ripley, or how it kind of came out in the in the film, that uh, how much loss she was experiencing, where she'd already lost a daughter. We all know that because we've seen the you know this the cut from special the, edition. the special yeah. edition cut. We know that she's lost a daughter, and now she's lost another one. Um, right, and it's very very interesting. Um, and it's even at the point where she loses her hair. I mean, she even loses some of her self identity in this yeah. film. I mean, I mean, she's like so torn from anything comfortable. She doesn't have her own clothes anymore, right? She's wearing these like prison things. Um, she doesn't have any hair left. She's like injured. She's the only woman. She's on a planet that's at like the the butthole of space. Uh, I mean, she is like so alone by the end of that movie. Mm-hmm. Until mm-hmm. she again emerges as this incredible hero who's able to unite these people who were formerly murderers and serial arsonists and rapists and things. And she, with obviously a lot of help from Dylan, um, is able to to conquer the beast for once and for all 
in spite of being up against odds that include not only being completely alone and completely stripped of anything that is comfortable or feels like it's hers, but also her life, her life is taken from her Mm -hmm. and she doesn't let it go. She, she says, she says, no, I'm going to do this on my terms, you know? Well, but she kind of does though. And I think that's sort of the genius of alien three, um, where as Ripley, when she's she wakes up and she's expecting Hicks and Newt to be there and she's not, and then she just you just see her not give a shit anymore. Mm-hmm. She just doesn't. Mm-hmm. The Ripley that we know and love from Aliens, she surrenders her. She's gone. Right. She's emotionally. Right. You see that Ripley emotionally leads Sigourney Weaver and that death. So we experience that death from Ripley, and then we experience a physical death. Um, mm. And but Ripley. The the Ripley that we know and love is kind of is shaken by Dylan. It was Dylan who really said, I'm not going to kill you. And I know that's what you want me to do. But if having you around helps us kill kill that thing, then we're going to have you around. And I'm sorry. And you're going to have to deal with it. And so then you see Ripley kind of take hold of herself. And then she emerges. Yes, she reemerges. Yeah, that's a good point. Born again. The death of the The death of the classic Ripley character, which yeah. is very difficult to watch happening. And then there's the rebirth, right? She almost yeah. experiences physical death, and then she's reborn from that. And then her actual death has meaning again yeah. because it's 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 a, it's a true death. It's not this death that was forced upon her. It was something that she did. Absolutely. You know? And I think it's the most uh, – that performance, the way that she's written, the way that – of course, that she Sigourney Weaver acts is the most layered and nuanced – and it's incredible performance yeah, of her a, of her character period in the in the series. Yeah, I, I agree. It's fantastic performance, and it's so different from everything else too, right? Yes. It's, I mean, like like you're right. Those scenes where she's lifeless, I mean, she is so believably uh, at her wit's end. You know, she really plays that so well, and it's so you know 180 degrees from the from the Ripley who was blowing up uh, ophomorphs in the Queen's Chamber and Aliens. You know. Like, like it's it's like it's like a completely different side of her, but yet you still sense Ripley is in there somewhere, locked in this wilderness within her body. You know what I mean? And you see her um, a little bit too, like where she has this gut sense that this thing is down here on this planet with me, and you know she's you know she wakes up in Clemens' bed, and there Clemens is called by uh, Aaron saying, "Hey, you need to come see this." When the prisoners has been diced. Um, and you see her face. I love that line. I do too. And uh, you see her face. And actually, it's an interesting shot there because that shot of Ripley, uh, as Clemens leaves, the camera pans in and it gets darker and darker and darker until you only see that glow of the white of her eyes. The exact same shot you see in Alien after they've seen the um, the the space jockey. The ca- it gets darker and darker, and you only see the glow of the space jockey's eyes. And of course, mm. the similarities there is the space jockey had an alien inside him, and so does Sigourney Weaver. So they ah, she be- she ah, becomes the nice. jockey. You know, nicely done. Oh, yes, yeah. I'm so- I- that's what I do, y'all. I sit around and think about this shit to death. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, but I, I I can we can we get some of your thoughts on the film, Jamie? I, f- I feel like we kind of skipped over you. Like, what's what's your overriding sense of Alien Three? What's your relationship to it? Well, I, and I've talked about this quite a few times before on, on episodes, so I'll probably rehashing. I'm sorry, listeners, yeah, yeah. again. Um, but I, 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 and I've said before that I uh, engaged Ripley at 16. I couldn't see it in the theater just because of the church I was growing up in wouldn't allow it, um, and they had control of the parents 
children who whatever it's a long story um so i couldn't see it so by the time i did see it it was a year later and it was i was on a hunting trip and we rented the video from blockbuster video and we watched it and uh i was i was blown away by it but i met ripley when i was going through a really really difficult time as a teenager um experiencing a lot of the uh solitary confinement, experiencing a lot of the loss. And so when I met Ripley, I was like, fuck yeah, me too. You know? Um, mm -hmm. And so uh, Newton Hicks, I liked them. I never made a, I, I never made an emotional connection with them. For me, it was always about Ripley um, and her fortitude. And so when she emerged in alien three, kind of having nothing and losing everything physically, emotionally, you know, from her body, everything, I had as well, so I could really relate to her. Now, that was my experience at 16. That's kind of what drew me to her and what kept me with her. And it was my favorite iteration of who she was. Um, now, as an adult, I think now it's probably, I, I, I've always said probably to make to make it sound good. I've said, oh, Alien 3 is my next favorite behind Alien. It's actually my favorite film of the three. Um, wow. And... Uh, there's just something about it that I feel like is wholly original. It's the most original film, aside from the the first film, Alien. It it plays off none of the. There's no none of the audio cues. There's none of the re restaging of events from Alien, like you see in Aliens. And many a lot of beats in Aliens are repeated from Alien, which is fine because they work really well. But Alien Three does none of that. It says to hell with all of that. We're te we're telling our own story, and we're going to do it. Uh, we're going to be loyal about it. And they did. And uh, I, I can never, I can't, I can't not recognize that, how different it is, how, how unique it is as an adult now. And as I, I will say though, it is difficult for me to watch. It is difficult to see the character of Ripley lose herself emotionally and then kind of give up hope. Um, and then, so you experience her death twice in Alien, in Alien 3. And as much as a favorite, I, I mean, I listen to the soundtrack quite a bit. I love that soundtrack. That's, of course, it's going to be a, a whole nother episode. But it's hard for me to watch Alien 3. I like to think about it more than I like to watch it because it's so difficult. Um, but at the same time, at the end um, of the film and you see everything kind of being closed up and all those amazing, beautiful visuals and you hear yeah. Ripley's kind of... This is Ripley, Last Survivor, the Nostromo oh, signing off. I was so waiting for somebody to say that. Yeah, uh, it, it's just it's like, like is, it's oh perfect. It was a perfect. better ending than that. I yeah. mean, that is every single time I get chills. Every single time. Mm -hmm. I remember as a kid, the first time I saw that, I remember my heart beating out of my chest, remembering that audio cue, and then hearing it coming back from a junk pile after we said goodbye to this character who had, in many ways, defined my childhood. Yeah. Right. And like dealing with this loss, and then hearing her voice and re and feeling like, oh, it's in me now. Like Ripley's in me, you know. Yeah. Like like she's in, and she is. She's in all of us. Like we're still talking about her, and she hasn't been in an alien film for quite a while now, you know. Yeah. That whole part was so well done with the kind of Fury One Six One shutting down, and then the it's audio closed. cue. I'm like, that was. And then you know Morse looking back, he gets pushed and all that shit. I thought really, <laughs> really, you. really, yeah. <laughs> that whole thing was was well done too. And also as a uh, aside, the in the beginning, I thought the way they kind of did their own little tweak on the 20th Century Fox thing was cool too. I always got a kick out of that. Yeah, a little totally. A little, it, it, a little was, it really was a beautiful ending to her her story. I mean, and I, again, I I I. I 
suggest that it was the best ending for Ripley, as difficult as it, as it is to watch. Um, it's It was the best ending I could have hoped for. I think it was a realistic yeah. ending. I, and I think yes. uh, that kind of Americana, uh, red-blooded, yeah, let's go do it again. Let's go on a spaceship and kill them all. Come on, Newt. You know, I just feel like that's, that's who James Cameron is. That's not who Ripley is. Um, yeah. I don't think it, it, it would have serviced Ripley's character. And even Sigourney Weaver herself said, she goes, how many times am I going to wake up and say, oh, no, there's an alien on board? You know? Right. Um, yeah. And, and, yeah, this, and as we... This, sorry. Ahead. The Go. alien universe, it doesn't, you know, it's not one of, when you encounter these creatures, it's not one of long lifespans and, yeah. you know, five-person families and soccer moms and all that stuff. Right, right. You find them, you engage them, and you're more than likely going to die. And someone is not going to be happy about it. That's just yeah. how it is. They're not, right. you know, they're Absolutely. not. It's just the nature of the beast, pun intended. And and she, and she never and she never. It's not like Ripley ever sought them out. It's not like she was like, right. let's go bug hunting, right? Like she, the soul of this movie being Ripley, she was always, at, you know, put in a situation where she had basically no choice but to engage with with the alien, um, except you know, in, in aliens when she does it willingly. But that was after you know quite a lot. Mm-hmm. It's not like she. It's not like she was gung ho about fighting them. So it makes yeah. sense. Like she, it, it would not have been triumphant for her to end Alien Three, saying like, "Let's go bug hunting," you know, like that, because <laughs> yeah. that's not who she is, yeah. right? She's somebody whose life was robbed from her. I mean, she's mm-hmm. somebody who spent so many, so many decades in hypersleep, um, who never got to see her daughter grow up, who never got to, um, you know, re- get, rekindle love back home. Who never got to like it's crazy you think like she left you know on this nostromo mission as a 29 year old i think uh and uh you know thinking that she was going to be home within a couple of years at the most uh and uh and she never went back like she, like you know she might have for all we know you know left uh food out or something and never gotten to put it away you know and here she is a hundred whatever years later you know saying goodbye to all that and, and never going back home again and there's something profound and, and brave uh, from a storytelling standpoint about that about saying like there is no silver lining here like she uh she got a fitting send-off that was in line with the tragedy that has been trailing that character all along but instead of coming to that tragedy she harnesses it and does something productive in her final moment with it absolutely and you know what's interesting to think about uh and i think about ripley's character in alien 3 there's so much going on in that movie where she's not just with with aliens well when an alien she's a part of the crew everyone has their issues with each other but they're friends and there's a commitment and there's loyalty and there's a sense of family and aliens she had to earn that a little bit they were like well who the fuck is this um in Snow a- White. yeah yeah um and uh in Alien 3, she is the alien in the beginning. She is yeah. the invader. She is the threat. Where is she at? Where's Ripley at? Where, she's running around, you know, giving these men, making these men crazy with hard-ons. And they, she's not just, she's a threat to their emotional safety because they've made a, a pact to be celibate, which includes women. Um, so she's a threat to them. Um, and sh- no one kind of knows where she is. She's being kind of paraded around. And these guys don't just don't like, hey, who who is she? They're they're not like just that. They're like, why is she here? And let's fucking kill her and rape her. Right. Um, so she's they are the threat to her. She is the threat to them. And then the alien is the threat to all of them. So you have this. She becomes the alien in some ways. Um, where and and you think about it from their perspective, like these are people who 
were, um, you know, imprisoned for incredibly violent crimes who have found some sense of, of um, they, they, they found some sense of solidarity in this redemptive religious thing that they've come up with. And like, so they're, they're, they're dependent on that to live a fulfilling end of their lives, you know, and they've chosen to stay behind as a janitorial staff and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then here comes, the, as you said, this alien organism who threatens to unravel all of that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So if you, if you know that you're a monster by heart, like if, if you know that you are a serial rapist uh, of women or whatever, um, and you have buried that so deeply by choosing the hard way, by choosing this life of celibacy and of janitoriality at, and of, you know, uh, isolation, um, and of, uh, like I said, celibacy. And then all of a sudden this woman comes in who challenges all of that. Like it is horrifying because she's, she's threatening to make you into a monster again, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, and they, they were aware of that. So you're right. Like she was probably very scary for them in a lot of ways. Yeah. And she was, I think that they, they were, she was scared of them too, in some ways. Um, and th- but then there's a very similar scene in Alien Three where there's the moment where Ripley is then handed leadership, where after they've been, after um, uh, uh, what's his name, Superintendent, what's his name, Andrews. Chalmers. Andrews? Oh, Aaron? Are you talking about? No, Aaron? Aaron? Andrews, yeah. Superintendent Andrew. Andrews, he's killed, and they're all in the in that area, kind of yeah, like the sense. very church like area. And, you know, they are like, oh my God, what are we going to do? Um, and someone says, is it going to try for us all? And she goes, yep. And she goes, I haven't seen one like this before. It moves differently. And they're scared shitless. And they're like, right. hey, Dylan, what about you? How about some leadership? He goes, no, I'm not the leadership type. But so then, I've never been one for leading. Yeah. And so then it's the emotional kind of focus is pivoted on all eyes go to Ripley. Hey, you. Yeah. You've dealt with this before. But she doesn't want it either. And then Morris is like, well, why she brought this thing here. Let's Let's put her head through the wall. And in the special edition, she goes, sounds good to me. She's 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 done. She's over it, right. you know. Um, and I don't even think by this point she doesn't even know that she has the alien in her. Um, it's a very but again, all power is emotionally pivoted to her, and she assumes that role. Sort of, it's kind of touchy for a little while until after they try to trap it into the in, in the thing. Anyways, a long story short, I, I just that was a very powerful moment where this woman by nature of her gender, who is a threat to them, who is a threat to their emotional stability, then becomes their lifesaver, the, the life giver. What can we do? How do we help you? How do we help you help us kill this thing? Right. It's an, it's an, amazing, remember, it's an amazing character moment. Yeah, I don't remember how I read it, because I know, you know a lot of people like to say, you know, religion has no part in these alien movies, but it's kind of a theme through all of them, and I even remember reading some theories where they kind of Ripley is supposed to be this kind of like a Jesus Christ character in totally. Alien Three. Totally. And it's you know it's interesting, especially with the way you break it down and look at it. It it definitely brings a whole other layer to it. All right. I mean, and she dies set with her arms outstretched, sacrificing what? herself. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, yeah. like I mean, yeah, it makes, it makes uh, a lot of sense. Wasn't one of the early scripts too? Wasn't it supposed to be like a like a convent? Yeah, well, not a convent, yes. but it yeah. Was supposed yeah, yeah, to be yeah, like yeah. A, an abbot or thing was monastery, monastery, or monastery yeah, yeah, totally. And hopefully, we'll do a whole show on that. Um, yeah, I, I guess before we close out, we we want to talk about some of the episode ideas that we have because this is like 
in, in case people missed it in the beginning, this is the beginning of a whole mini series that we're doing for the first time because there's so much to talk about with Alien Three, and we all kind of bring our own angles to it. So, um, you know, we each want to kind of tackle different things. And, and if you guys have ideas for um, episodes that you would like us to um, to engage on, go ahead and send us an email to perfectorganismpodcast at gmail dot com, or click the contact link on our website um, and, and let us know, or, or shoot, hit us up on Building Better Worlds. Um, but but this is we we really. The genesis of this whole little arc that we're about to embark on was a while ago, JM sent us this message and he said, hey, this is all the stuff that I want to talk about with Alien 3 that we haven't had time to engage on yet. And it was like the equivalent of maybe 7,000 hours of podcasting. (laughs) (laughs) Well, why don't we take this opportunity to break it down, do shorter episodes that let us really deep dive into stuff because – it, everybody everybody talks about alien everybody talks about aliens everybody uh, fights about the prequels everybody pretends that everything else kind of didn't exist but alien 3 is one of those things that um isn't really discussed at length very often because it's a difficult film to talk about it is very because we, we all have such strange relationships with it and because it's a very um confrontational film just from an audience standpoint like it's a movie that is relentless and does not let you take it easily it's a movie that really pushes a lot of buttons so i think a lot of people kind of shy away from it but but we decided like let's let's not like let's contribute um some really cool new research and new conversation to the discussion about this film that we we all love in our very different ways um and hopefully we'll get some cool stuff out of it so um i can go ahead and start with that i uh, i i really want to do a deep dive into the score um, of Alien 3, and, and I was able to track down actually a handwritten copy of Elliot Goldenthal's full score. Um, and I've been doing quite a lot of musicological analysis on that and looking for references to other scores and looking to um, ideas about why it sounds the way it does, what some of the underlying motifs are, um, what some of the characterization things that are going on are, because it's a very sophisticated document. So um, just from my personal contribution, um, I, along with Jamie and probably some of the other guys, will do a podcast on this, at least one. And then um, I have a series of blog posts that I would like to do with a lot of graphical aids and a lot of things being circled and sound files and things like that to try to help to um, increase appreciation in some some small way for the score that I think is really a masterpiece. But what do you guys want to talk about? Um, for me, unsurprisingly, completely uh, different from you guys. I all about the um, kind of the the look and the, the planet Fury 161. I thought that whole idea was cool, and of course the alien itself because the the, the the Bambi Burster, the runner, whatever you want to call it, just completely changed the mythos after that, which is kind of something that's overlooked, the way the reflex DNA thing, I mm-hmm. which completely intrigued me. I think that's worth um, breaking down, and maybe we could have a little fun we could discuss how the hell that magic egg got there. Was it Grubhub? Was it delivered? <laughs> was it... Was it did the queen carry it? Was it an Uber driver? Who knows? You know... <laughs> But, um, yeah, jokes aside, uh, the, the alien just – the different form of it just opened up a whole other discussion that I think is yeah. worth um, – we're always worth revisiting. And also, I, I would love to hear more about the effects behind it too because they, they really tried some crazy shit with that. Yeah, they did. Yeah. <laughs> they they did. did. And also, you know what's an interesting story as well is – and I've never – it's not even crossed my mind is the, the, the drama that went on when um, – Geiger was approached to design mm-hmm. a creature for Alien mm-hmm. 3. He did. They based the design of, of the creature for the film, and they never credited ah. him. 
Right. Yeah. And so they didn't yeah. credit him until years later. And he had to fight yep. and fight and fight. And part of it was like, what the fuck? Like, credit this man. Yeah. You, you, <laughs> I don't so weird. I know. You, cro- yeah, you contract him to do work and then you don't credit him? Yeah, yeah. And, and there's a full-size sculpture of it that exists. And it's that beautiful. Is stunning. I mean, yeah. it's gorgeous. It's, it's terrifying. One of my favorite things I've ever seen Giger do. I think it's one of his best works of art. Absolutely. And um, and I, I, I would love to hear more about that, too. That'd be cool. Yeah. Um, so that's my idea, but I, I also too, I mean, the, the iterations of scripts, I'd like to kind of go through those scripts and talk about what could have been, if it would have worked, um, how it would have worked. I, I think, uh, not William Gibson's script, but it was, um, the Australian guy, the director, he wrote it. Um, the one with the monastery who wrote that script. I can't remember right now. What's his name? I can't remember either. Um, no. but I would like to. Goyer? Is it? No, Goyer didn't write that no. script. It was. No, uh, he had a brief one. Yeah. Oh, who, I see his face. Um, but uh, and if you see the documentary uh, about the making of Alien 3, they go through all of that. And when I was hearing it, and they're showing you visuals of like uh, storyboards and all, all that kind of thing, I thought this never could have worked. It's too. It's like a wooden, a wooden Death Star essentially. Uh, yeah. a, right, right. A sphere where it's like a farmland in there. Like it just, it didn't sound plausible. So I'm actually happy. And some people are like, Oh wow, that would have been cool. I just, and there's a scene yeah. where the alien goes up through the shitter and you know, uh, yeah. you know, or there's a monk on the toilet and not that they, yeah, maybe that wouldn't have, but I just, not that the script was bad or the ideas weren't bad. Cause obviously some of those ideas made it through to alien three, but I mm-hmm. don't think that the film would have been successful. But I, I, that would be so cool to, to talk about those. I would love to, yeah. to go into that. Yeah. Um, and also, it would be cool, I think, at some point, because we have the complete Gibson script, and it's it's awesome. Um, it would be cool to maybe do a dramatic reading or something of at least sections of it to go through um, and try to give the yes. try to give the listeners kind of a sense of what it would have felt like. So, um, you know, we're, we're currently actually this weekend we have a huge recording session for Proximity, the audio drama that we're going to be coming out with. Um, and maybe a, maybe a subsequent project, who knows, could be to, to do some selections from the Gibson script. Absolutely. So, nope. Michael, what Speaking about you? Speaking of – I'm oh, sorry. Go <laughs> ahead. Go ahead. Scripts, go ahead, Dave. Um, our the good old Aaron Percival at avpgalaxy.net. If you're into the Alan yep. scripts, he's got them all. So check them out over there. Sorry, nice. Michael. Go right ahead. No, no, that's all right. My my big thing was I kind of mine sort of on that that line too is um, I did read the novelization and uh, also it took me a long time to actually sit down and read it but Dark Horse actually did have a uh, comic series that came out that was the, the their I guess you would say their the novelization of the movie the adaptation and I'll tell you what it was crazy different. It's so different. The art is so good. Yeah, it's amazing. I got to reread this stuff. Yeah, can, I, can I say, I, I actually, been a long time. Yeah. I inexplicably have 50 copies of the first issue of that. So if, if anybody listening to this wants one, just, you know, send me a direct message or something on Building Better Worlds and get, you know, pay postage via PayPal and I'll send it to you. Because um, I, I, at some point in my adolescence, did like a bulk order, probably with the idea of like archiving them or something. And um, and then I just rediscovered them at my parents' house when we were visiting. And it's like box full of issue one of the Alien Three Dark Horse. Room. So if anybody, if anybody wants those, just let me know. I'll take one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's that. I, that's why I said that. It's it just you know that's something I'd like to touch on is is how you know the different you know different novelization or different versions all had something in them you know that set them apart. Like yeah. they not one of them followed the same path. 
which is kind of cool because you could take little bits and pieces from each one. But, uh, you know, like, I mean, and then Dave said the same thing. He said all the questions, you know, there's so many questions in these movies and, and not in a bad way, but they like we're still talking about it today. You know, I look at all the people like my one of my biggest questions about the movie is who was the Bishop character? Yeah. Like, you know, you yeah. have of course you have Bishop. Which is another whole thing that that still to this day freaks me out when she finds him and he starts talking again, yeah. and it and it's you know oh it's just kind of like a heart wrenching thing but you know then you had the character at the end of it, you know, you don't ever really oh, get right. a, yeah. a full answer who it is, yeah you know it, but they're like you know and then Dave said the the magic egg the magic egg was just going to be one of those things for and my other thing I like too is you know we were talking about the different versions of the movie you know. I one of my favorite scenes is in the I believe it's in the like the special edition the mm. the, the different cut is when they hold up the queen face hugger. Yes, oh, I yeah. love that. Yeah. It's, it's so it just takes it in a whole different direction. Yeah. And as yeah. you guys said, yeah. you don't need that in the movie. Like it doesn't do anything extra, but to see it is like that is yeah. crazy. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. And actually, I, I'll, a, a brief shout out. I think Michael, you mentioned before the the ad that that's sort of iconic, the three times the terror ad that has the Queen chestbursters coiled around yes. on it. So that actually, I found out via a post on our social media page that that was actually like a maquette that they made up. It wasn't a digital painting or anything. It wasn't like a. It was actually a three dimensional statue that mm -hmm. they made and photographed, which I th I had no clue. But um, the the um, amalgamated dynamics store online. Is uh, is selling those now, so you can get it. It's like a hundred bucks or something, and it's like it's cast from the original thing that that ad was made from. Which how cool is that? Like, awesome. you know, so if That's anybody wants awesome. one, yeah, yeah. I can, I can still remember. I can still remember going into my the videotape store, and going in, and at the corner of the store they had the picture of Ripley, mm. where she has like the two big jacket on, and she has yep. the flare in her yep. hand. Yeah, I can still remember that in the video store, like in the corner. Like it was it was there forever. <laughs> also, did, did any of you guys play the Alien 3 video game? Oh, because yeah. I sunk maybe a million hours of my childhood into that <laughs> freaking game. It's so good. Yeah. But we can touch I on that tried, at some point. I tried playing it like, oh my god, this game is difficult. <laughs> <laughs> it is. What matching yeah. powers did I have? It's all the shit. <laughs> it's super hard, I know. You know, yeah. uh, last but not least, to wrap this up, um, I, I want to just talk about um, just briefly. You know, we're kind of all we're, a lot of us have been talking about Ripley, but certainly the movie and a, a lot of things surrounding it. And I think uh, obviously we all know at this point that uh, there was the possibility that Ripley could be returned or brought back. Not so much brought back, but there would be a natural sequel to James Cameron's Aliens, which probably would have been more along the lines of what a lot of people would have liked to see, which would have included Hicks and Newt grown up and or older. All of them would have been older, obviously. Um, what I think is important, and I think uh, why, Ripley, why Ripley is so important to the Alien series, and I think why Prometheus and Covenant struggle isn't so much because of the content of Prometheus and Covenant is because we don't have someone to root for at, with the strength of Ripley. And I'm not talking about someone who is just like Ripley, someone who looks like Ripley or acts like Ripley. I'm just talking about someone in general to root for, someone who we have been emotionally invested in. And I think a lot of, the, a lot of what we've been seeing in terms of certainly me and with Michael and others, uh, the idea of bringing Ripley back is like, oh, wow, now I can invest in the series again. Um, having seen, you know, even though 
I enjoy Prometheus more than I enjoy Covenant, even though I think Covenant's a better film, or I think there's better parts in Covenant than there are in Prometheus. But there's really, the pivot point for these films have been strength of character. And uh, I think what we're seeing um, and experiencing isn't so much, uh, it's it's someone, everyone, the people who who are maybe critical or they feel like something's missing, I think what's missing is, the Ripley element, and again, not Ripley herself or her character or the uh, articulations of her character, but it's someone to latch on to and someone to say, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. I can't wait till the next one. What are we going to do? Mm. And uh, I, so I just kind of want to leave it there. Um, and I think it's it's something valid. And I think uh, if the alien films are going to really take hold of the, of, of the fandom again and pick us up and throw us down in an unforgiving, unrelenting way. It's going to do so with a character or characters that we love, that we... Well, I feel another Covenant argument coming on. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we can save that for another point. That's not to say... I, I, I'm not saying... I, obviously, we all know where I stand. We all know where we all stand on Covenant. Um, but I just think it... I, I think that... It, when talking about Ripley, it's important to realize why she's so important. It's not just because she was well-written and well-acted um, through three films magically, because obviously in Alien Resurrection, it wasn't the same Ripley, but they brought the character back, an iteration of the character, and she sucked. Um, not because her yeah. performance yeah. sucked, because she had nothing to do. She wasn't important to the story at all. The weirdest part is I went from Alien 3, heartbroken, devastated, that Ripley was gone and then resurrection came out. And I remember sitting there going, don't you do it. Don't you bring her back? <laughs> yeah. Why would you bring her back? And I'm like, this isn't who I like. I I can't get behind this. <laughs> and like, it was so weird. Cause I had gone from like a totally, you know, total 180. I had gone from like, is she gone? I'm never going to see her again. And then I saw her character and that's exactly what you say, J Jamie. That's exactly it. She wasn't the same character to get behind. And it wasn't it, so much. She needed to be the same but, character. She no, needed to no, no. do something. Yeah. She needed to be important. Exactly. Of the character that we love. I mean, I mean, and, and I got to say, and I, I don't mean to open another Pandora's box of an argument one minute before the episode is over, but I got to say the Blomkamp thing, uh, what, what bothered me so much was the Sigourney Weaver aspect of it. I was like, stop doing that. Like, like she had she, her characters done. It was incredible. Like, just let it, let it lie. And know? I understand and, that. And I understand that. I, I really yep. personally bristled at. I, 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 and that's why, like, as much as I love him as a filmmaker and as much as I think that there is a lot worth exploring there, like the fact that she was attached to it and the fact that she was in the concept art, um, you know, regardless of whether or not she was ultimately going to be in the film, which is a whole separate conversation, um, initially really turned me off from it. And it made me feel like they were going to make a movie that we would be sitting here complaining about. But here's, but, but here's, but here's why though, here's why they were going to bring her back. And I don't even think it was like, Oh, let's bring back Ripley just to bring her back. I think part of it was let's bring the soul of the series back. Let's, let's restart it with her and then let's go off into a different direction because but she's done. I, I agree. If, if you, if you do I, that, you're you're doing such a disservice to the honesty and the integrity of this film. Like, don't give me something I've seen before. Don't give me something I'm expecting. Give me something yeah. new. Give me an Alien Three. Yeah. Give me something that I have no precedent for mm -hmm. that I will be surprised by and ravaged by. And, and maybe we would have been by, by Blomkamp's film. Who knows? Yeah, Who but knows? Not, but not if Ripley's in it. But we don't know what. It's That's a hard thing. As much as I love Alien Three, I think I should I should I should uh, be completely transparent and say my 
desire to see Ripley in an alien film is purely selfish. It's purely like, please give me the, the wonder and the excitement and the hope that I had for these three films because these last two haven't done it. So I need something. So, hey, yeah, I'm on board with this. Boom, um, I'm totally on the selfish train. Nothing wrong with that. It could have sucked. And if it would have sucked, I would have said, yes, it would have. Because, I mean, hey, she but was in four. Sucked, it would have been personal. It would have sucked in a personal way. Well, it would have like, been this thing that's yeah. so close to your heart getting beaten up again. Just right? like, like Resurrection was that. Um, even though I, think, I know, and that's why I fucking hate that movie. Well, you, well I, I I don't hate it because it, uh, Ripley, I mean, certainly that whole, the whole arc of her and the whole, how she was written. I mean, Joss Whedon wrote it. So shot, big shock oh, there. He's a hack. Um, uh, Amen. <laughs> Whipping out the guns wait, wait, wait. tonight. This is getting you're crazy. Tell me, tell, me you guys do not like Xenoraptors. Oh! I love the Xenoraptors. Okay. Listen, they you don't like a bunch of there's no raptors. Oh come on, Michael! You guys don't like you know guys don't like the cheesy forced one-liners. I mean, yeah, no, no, you don't like beautiful butterflies. Who doesn't oh, like God, God. Must be a chick thing. Ah, beautiful oh, one-liners God. like uh, in Avengers. Oh. That's my you plan. Don't like, attack. Don't like a lasagna uh, monster at the end. <laughs> hey, when we when we get to the point and we come out and we get together and decide to do an alien resurrection, I'm telling you right now, you better be calling me. So oh, oh, yeah. We can all crucify it together. As I've complained about oh, it, I yeah. watched that movie though. I, there's there's things about it that are good, but there are things about yeah, it. That it has anathema yeah. to my appreciation of the series, and that's why the Blomkamp thing was so infuriating for me because I was like, don't do that again, you know. Yeah. But that, that this sense. is like a whole separate episode that yeah. we're, we're about to get into. Yeah. But I'm well. <laughs> I say that that's a wrap. Uh, I know we kind of trailed off uh, into different other things, but that's the nature of conversation. Um, so we do. Thank you guys for being on. Um, thank you guys for listening. Those who are listening, um, we hope that you like our new branding. We hope that uh, you are excited about what we've announced. What's coming through? Uh, proximity should be out by the end of October. Um, we're so cool. we're recording most of it in the next few days, and then uh, we'll be editing it. Patrick and I will be editing it together. Um, so I'm really excited. I'm just It's going to be immersive. It's going to be haunting. Uh, you're going to have headphones on. You're going to feel like you're in there with the characters. It's totally. going to be so cool. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. So thank you guys for being on and thank you guys for listening. Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast, can be found on Apple Podcasts and through iTunes. We are also on Facebook. Go to www.facebook.com forward slash perfect organism perfect organism is hosted through podbean www.perfectorganism.podbean.com we also have our own facebook discussion group building better worlds